I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd this program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Deck. I am Doug Scott, joined, of course, by QB11. Andrew, good evening, sir. Good evening, Doug. How are we doing today? We are doing well. Are you prepared to dominate this podcast in a manner in, similar to that in which Oregon dominated the Utah Utes? Uh, I don't know if I have that level of physicality inside of me, Doug. I'm not sure, uh, but we'll find out. Yeah, that's a lot of physicality. As, as Kyle Whittingham said after the game, uh, it was. I mean, if you haven't, if those of you listeners, if you haven't watched uh, Kyle's post game press conference, I definitely recommend you go do that. It's all over Twitter. You can find it. Follow QB or me. You'll probably see one of us have or both of us have retweeted it. But the amount of respect that he paid to to the Oregon coaching staff and players and the way that they play that game was uh, was pretty impressive. Yeah, and I think when you when you contrast it to the types of things he said after playing Mario, uh, very very different tone. And it's worth noting, not because I have anything against Mario, but just because like it's very clear that both Landing and Whittingham have a lot of mutual respect for one another. Um, and it's also very clear that that respect did not necessarily exist with our prior staff. Yeah, I think. I think Mario gets some amount of bad rap for some of that stuff. I mean, it was very clear that the other coaches around the conference did not like Mario and, and probably did not respect him a whole lot. And I think some of that was probably fair. And I think some of that was probably a bit unfair. Like, you know, what they did to, to Oregon and the 29 and Mario himself in the 2019 postseason awards was, was just despicable. Um, it was just, not right at all uh, to take to do what they did to the players and Mario deserved that coach of the year honor as well that year but but he he earned some of that because I think he I mean he was a bully right and that's and you know I, I think he didn't he didn't treat people respectfully so they didn't treat him that way but I will say also he did bring kind of 
modern style recruiting to this conference, which didn't didn't really have it before Mario. I mean, everyone kind of was like, oh, that guy committed to you. Okay, we won't talk to him anymore. Sorry, right? Like it was a very gentleman's club kind of kind of outfit, and Mario changed that, and a lot of people didn't like that. But I think if you look in retrospect now, what because of what Mario brought and that Oregon brought, you know, and what they've been doing now, even more so under Dan, it's actually caused a lot of these coaches around or a lot of these schools around the conference to step up their game, both in their coaching hires and in their recruiting efforts. Yeah, yeah. Again, I'm not I'm not saying that it was all like not like it was all warranted but again i was just contrasting the difference in opinions totally. among coaches yeah no I, I think some of it was warranted to your point yeah i i think a, a pretty good chunk of it was um just from from i i think that dan does things and i'm not saying that i, I never mind i'm not gonna go there i'm gonna sound like an okg and i'm not i'm not doing that to myself <laughs> okay i, I think i think, there, I think, I think that the there point. is like a there's a human element in a way that you can run a program um while still winning at a high level and i think that i'm very proud to have the guy that we have um running the program because i think he does a really good job of not losing that while winning at an elite level recruiting at an elite level um, and I think he he genuinely cares about his people, and I think that comes across. And I think that if you ask any of the people that work for him, uh, they would tell you the same thing. Yeah, and I, I think that I don't want to go down this road too far, but, I mean, Dan made a statement after the game, um, kind of in regards to the recent shooting in Maine. I thought his statement speaks to what you're saying, right? There's a, yeah, we're here to win football games, and there's there's that side of it, but there's also the human element, and this was something that, his players came to him and said was very important to them. And so he felt like it was important to him to use his platform uh, to get a message across that I thought, I thought the message itself was also very, um, very well crafted. So I think that shows the human side. Yeah. It's, I don't, I don't really care what your opinion or anyone's opinion is on the message itself. The fact of the matter is, is that he's, he's using his platform to, for his players um, and that's what matters, in my opinion. Like, I think that's what's most important with this. Like, we're all here. We're Oregon football fans, and um, he deeply cares about his players. I think that much is very apparent. Uh, and like, I think that that's the right thing to do if you're a coach in that situation. Is if your players tell you something, then you listen. Um, so that's my take on that whole situation. Yeah, let's get to the game. <clears throat> All right, Oregon beats Utah 35-6 to in Rice-Eccles Stadium in a game that, honestly, as Coach Whittingham said, wasn't that close. I mean, Oregon kind of screwed around quite a bit um, in the third and fourth quarter. Probably, I mean, they easily could have hit 50 in this game had they, you know, kind of not tripped over their own <laughs> dicks a couple of times there with some with some kind of sloppy play late in the game. But uh, be that as it may, the game was, was over. I mean, we... When this when this score was fourteen to three, I thought, I don't see how Utah can get back in this thing, and that no, was I like the mid <laughs> mid first quarter. Well, when we 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 when we had talked about the lead up to this game, like like what would what would mean success for Oregon, like, and truthfully, I think we kind of undershot undershot it a little bit. Like I was like, if Oregon scores four touchdowns, this game's over. I, I don't think it was. Need, I don't think four touchdowns were needed. This game was over when it was twenty-one to three, and this game was kind of over when it was fourteen to three. Um, like once once this game started being played, and you saw the difference in talent and physicality, and just the, the number of ways that Oregon was going to be able to win this game, it, it was very clear from the very beginning. And I, I think this speaks to Coach Whittingham's comments that this was an uphill chug 
for for Utah, and it wasn't it wasn't one that they were going to be able to make today because Oregon didn't even give them an opportunity to try. Yeah, I, I mean, you saw Oregon's first drive. I mean, it was just it was like it was like they were playing on air. It's like when you do when you're in, when you're in a walkthrough on Thursday and or Friday, whatever day they do the walkthrough. I think it's Thursday. Um, and you're like, you're literally have your offense out there just running plays against air. That's what that first drive looked like. Uh, it was, and then, and then, then after the fumble drive, you know, which was just kind of a freak play, they come back on drive three and they just do another like walkthrough on air drive. I mean, I think I measured it and I was tweeting live tweeting this at the time in those two drives, Oregon ran, or even including the fumble in between Oregon ran 14 plays and 12 of them were successful. And, yeah. and in most cases, they weren't even like – it wasn't like they were barely successful. They were chunk plays. Yeah, and the plays that were unsuccessful, like, wow. like it was pretty easy to attribute that to Oregon's lack of execution more so than Utah stopping it. Um, like Yeah, the two the two unsuccessful plays were the fumble, which was – I mean, credit that Utah D-line, but it was also like just kind of dumb luck that he – I mean, it wasn't like he was trying to cause a fumble. He just happened to hit the ball in the perfect spot, and it fell right into his lap. So – and then the other unsuccessful play was a Troy drop on what would have been a long pass completion. Yeah. And, and he, he did everything right. The throw was one of the better deep throws that Nick's has made all season. Like it, it was actually like the execution was great until the catch, right? The, the protection was good. So um, I thought this was just a, like, watching this game. And I agree with Dan, this is the most complete game of an Oregon team that I've seen Shoot, Doug, I can't even remember. Uh, you have any like? When's the last game that was more complete than this? I guess maybe I, I the guess I kind of disagree there. Utah. Yeah, maybe maybe the yeah the the Pac-12 title game against Utah that that might be the probably the best one to point out. I mean, maybe I mean some people might point to the Ohio State game in 2021. Um, although I don't think that was a complete game in the same way that this one was right. Cause I think defensively they, they play, I don't know. Hey, what, you know, then we're getting into the definition of what's a complete game. Right. But I actually, I kind of disagree on this game though. Cause I think the way Oregon like slopped it up in the last quarter and a half kind of took some of the luster off of it for me, but yeah, uh, I mean, I, I understand, it. I understand where you're coming from on that. And I, I can, I agree. I think it's worth nitpicking some of that, but at the same time, the game was just so dominant. Like even when Oregon was being sloppy and kind of taking their foot off the gas, Utah still wasn't able to breathe. Right. Like it was, it was such a thorough, it was such a thorough ass beating that despite taking your foot off the gas, despite kind of like wasting, I would say wasting a couple of possessions down the, down the stretch of the game, it still, it didn't matter. Like it was, it was, yeah, it was already 35 to six. (laughs) Well, and even then like Utah wasn't like Oregon's offense, maybe took its foot off the gas, but Utah wasn't getting anything offensively. Nothing. No, you're right. So it, it was 21-3 at halftime, uh, three and out for Utah to start the second half. Oregon goes 12 plays for a touchdown, gets an interception, goes five plays for a touchdown. Then it's three and out, three and out, downs, game over, right? I mean, they, the, the defense, I, I mean, I guess the downs drive, but again, this is now we're talking mid-fourth quarter, up 35-6. to six. I mean, Utah's running, you know, a pretty aggressive offense. Oregon's just playing it safe. So, but they still ended up stopping them on down. So who cares? Right. Um, I also, I want to, I said this at the time, like I really respected the way 
those last two drives of the game, like compare, compare, go back to the Colorado game, right? Like Oregon thoroughly dominated the game. They're up 42 to nothing or something. And Dion's out there putting his son at continued risk of getting just brutalized, running like hurry up offense, you know, trying to get up get points on the board, you know, and they finally do in, you know, in the last drive of the game against the third string or whatever. And Whittington in this game, like he just, he ran like they were not running hurry up at all in those last two drives. They were just running. They were using the full play. He was just like, let's just let this game is over. Let's play the game out like respectfully, but not like he wasn't trying to like get a cheap backdoor touchdown at the end of the game with some trick plays or running tempo or, or BS like that. I, I, I don't know. I kind of respect that. Yeah. hundred percent. I think it, again, it just goes like the respect on both sides. I think that like when we put in tie, like it was, there was just a lot of respect shown, right? Like it would have been very easy for Dan to make this game really ugly for us to put our foot down and just absolutely murder them and do kind of what they did to us in 2015 when we had Jeff Lockie starting in that game um, and score 60 on him and, and, and hold them to six and just like completely put, but like, I don't think we had to do that. And I think that shows a lot of like, not, not security, but I think it, it just proves that Dan knows what this team is. The team knows what this team is. They went out and took care of business. There was no stress to get to any specific point number. The dominance was obvious to everyone who watched the game. And I think that you see that in the, in the reporting nationally about the game. Um, and, yeah. and it was just, that was it. The ass beating was the ass beating. The game ended. We moved forward. <laughs> um, but I, I want to go back a little bit and talk a little bit more about Bo Nix because I thought this was his best game as a duck. Yeah, he was really good in this and it game. Wasn't, it was the types of throws he was making, the, like, the really high-level anticipation throws over the middle of the field. Some of the stuff that we've been kind of like, where is this? When's it coming? Like, when is it going to emerge uh, more? And so seeing that was huge. I was really proud of the way Bo played. Seeing him check into plays at the line of scrimmage, that put us in super advantageous situations. The, the whole this, – this game was a master class by Bo, in my opinion – um, every, he just managed every situation, the, the, all the situations throughout the game, the fire he played with, the the command, and then the demandingness that he had towards his teammates in regards to execution, the perfection that he was trying to chase. Um, if if we get, if I could be promised to have this version of Bo Nix for every game for the rest of the year, I think this team has a chance to like do something. I think you know what I mean by do something. Yeah. No, I, he was like you know what we've seen with Nix particularly in road games and big road games. You saw it at Texas Tech. You saw it at Washington. You've seen it at other big road games a lot last season is, is kind of that jittery start, right? Where you just, it takes him a couple of possessions to kind of settle into the game. And this was, that was not the case yesterday in this game. I mean, he was, he was dialed. Uh, I think what he completed like his first 10 or 12 passes until that Troy drop, you know, like he was just, he was just nails. And, and in fact, I think his, most of the draw, most of the incompletions in this game happened after the game was out of, out of hand. Um, oh yeah, yeah. He and 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 you know I think Joel Klatt said this on the broadcast. He compared it to a point guard just distributing the ball to all of his playmakers, and that seemed like a really apt uh, comparison. I think that's kind of been what you know what Stein said he wants his offense to be. Right when he came here, or even before you know when we hired him, it was like, hey, I want you know I want to get the ball out to the guys, feed the studs, and that this felt like the ultimate kind of feed the studs offense game and Bo just executed it like masterfully. Yeah. 
I would agree with that. Um, I, I, it's the, it's the feed the studs, but it's also the higher level plays. Like the, like he was he was making throws in this game that he hasn't really consistent. Well, he hasn't been asked to make. To be honest with you, I don't think I blame Bo for not making these throws in other games, but he just hasn't been asked to do that. Um, and so seeing him do it. I want to see it continue like that. If that's because that adds an element to the offense. If he's, if he's really legitimately pushing the ball downfield specifically between the hashes, um, driving, driving the ball deep into, into the intermediate zones, sorry, into the, into the intermediate and deep zones of, of the defense against teams that are trying to stack the box, then this, this offense becomes literally unstoppable. If that's happening with consistency, that just takes this whole operation to the next level. Um, and, there's nothing about Bo's games that Bo's game that makes me think he can't do that. Yeah, I mean, you looked at the way it was. It was great to see Oregon work the middle of the field, particularly. I mean, obviously, you had the several times they used the the running back Texas route over the middle, the one for the touchdown to, to Jordan. But even more than that, I mean, I love that he had that deep in route to Troy. You know, at one point during the game, it was like 15, yeah. 15 yard in. Throwing, that was just throwing dots on skinny posts and digs, and and yeah. like and the and the throws outside the numbers were good too. Like like giving a, a player like Terrence Ferguson an opportunity to make a play on the ball like he did, like th- those are th- that's an important big play too. Right? Yeah, that was so, the other one I was going to mention. The Ferguson throw was like that's the throw. Like wow, that was a that was the throw you want to see your guy make, right? Like go up there, put the ball where only he can get it on perfect location. Let him make a play, and and Ferg made a heck of a play. I think that was a third down play too. So that kept the drive alive, and um, they ultimately got a touchdown. Yeah, I again like this game to me was like a pretty special performance for Bo um, because of the way he showed up, like just his body language, right? Like the way he the way he played in this game, and I, I think it's a sign of things to come. Um, and if it is a sign of things to come, this team has a chance now to do something really special that's never been done here. Um, and I, I don't I don't say that to be hyperbolic. Like I wouldn't say that. Like I like I think I told you this in the preseason. Like. And I would never tweet this. I would never say this on the podcast. But I, I thought this team had a chance to be the best team we've ever had. Um, and I'm seeing it come together now with my own eyes. I'm seeing these young, talented freshmen really grow into into true and like into like well-rounded players that are like they're not just guys. They're not they're not just freshmen with talent who can flash. They're like actually like borderline elite players now, like Blake Purchase and Mateo Uyunglele, um, and, and a handful of others. And this team is being formed and it's taken on the relationship of its head coach. Uh, and I, like this, this team is really fun to watch and really special to watch. And I hope that the fans that are watching this aren't taking it for granted because uh, I've, we've all watched, I know you've watched a lot of Oregon football. I've watched way too much Oregon football. Um, and this is probably the most fun I've ever had watching Oregon football. I mean, it's certainly up there. I mean, obviously the, the chip era all the way through 2014 was a pretty, pretty fun era to watch football for multiple reasons. Obviously they had a lot of success. They were also really fun to watch, but you're right. I mean, this is, this is a team that's just built differently, right? I mean, it's built, it's in a different era of football too. So let's talk about that. But this, this team is built to compete. And I mean, again, you know, being hyperbolic or whatever, but I mean, I think it's time to like quit soft selling quit like poo-pooing quit shying away from like i think what is becoming pretty clear and what people around the nation are really starting to recognize is this is a team that could win could win the whole thing this year doesn't mean they will doesn't mean they're gonna be favored doesn't mean they're you know they're they're gonna dog walk everyone but they have in this year where there's not a 
Georgia 2021 or Georgia 2022 out there, right? Like with the right quarter, with, with Bo playing the way he did, with the weapons they have, with the defense that they have that's getting better, I think, every week, this team could could be a team that if they can get into that playoff, they can win two games. It's yeah. possible. And like it's legitimately thing... and not it's not a fantasy, right? It's it's not, you know, it's not fifty percent odds, but it's it's a realistic possibility. I agree with you. Um, the only thing I'd say, and I don't want to get too carried away with this Utah game, because this, like we talked about this coming into this game, this is a really beat up team. I, I'm making this statement more about what I'm seeing from Oregon than what I saw from Utah in regards to just like this team gets better every week. We saw that last week with Dan as the head coach. And then things things got a little wonky at the end of the season, obviously with Bo's injury. Um but this this team is legitimately getting better. Players are making big jumps week to week. Like getting Justin Jacobs back and seeing him play, um, there was some matchups in this game that we knew were going to be really ideal. I think this is the this was the easiest matchup by far for Oregon safety room. Like Evan Evan Williams and Tyshim Johnson just getting to pin their ears back and play downhill all game. Like that is a that's a nightmare situation for for Utah. Like they, they didn't have anybody to challenge those guys. Um, and so I want to make sure that like we're a hundred percent honest with ourselves in this conversation as well, that this Utah team was without a lot, right? Like they, yeah. they, they're they're They didn't have the horses to really compete. And even if they were full now, that is not me saying that if they were fully healthy with all these guys and cam rising, that this game would have been good, like close. Cause I think the way that Oregon was playing yesterday, it wouldn't have mattered. I really do. Um, but I, I want to see this now continue for the rest of the season. I want to keep building on this because there still are areas for improvement on this team, like cleaning up some of the procedural penalties. Um, I, I think is a big one. I think continued um, development of the corner room and the defensive back room is going to be important because um, odds are you're going to have to play Washington again. And if you play Washington again, like as we've seen over the weeks of them playing other people, I I don't think it's a particularly talented football team, but they, they've got the talent where it matters. That offensive battery of quarterback and wide receiver is as good as it gets nationally. Um, and that by itself can make a team elite, as we've seen several times over the years, and uh, yep. especially elite on a, a given Saturday, right? Like they're not going to show up and just physically dominate teams like Oregon is right now. Um, but on any given Saturday, if, if Michael Penix and the receiver room are dialed in, they can beat somebody. So they I mean, still we deserve saw that respect. two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so they yeah. still deserve respect. And Oregon is far from a perfect team. Um, and, and they're not infallible, but I think that the quality of this team is really starting to show and shine uh, and it de- deserves to be called out. Yeah. I mean, this was the, the most snaps Julio Florence has played all year. I think he played like 60 snaps in this game, which was, I think there was a total of 68. So he pretty much played full time in this game, which was the first time he's done that all year. I know he's been kind of in and out of the lineup playing on a limited basis, splitting reps. So it's good to see him be out there, you know, fully and completely. And obviously Kyrie Jackson was back and, and he played about two thirds of the snaps in this game as well. So having those two guys healthy, you know, like you said, on the back end, I mean, Evan Williams and Taishim play pretty much every snap of the game and they have been all year. Um, but interesting, you know, Nico Reed was his usage was way down in this game. Probably just wasn't the right matchup for him. Um, Cause I do think he's going to be a key piece against, uh, you know, USC and, and potentially Washington again later, you know, the, the thing about the thing about watching this matchup, and I do think it's a, it was a really favorable matchup for Oregon. I, that's why I, I feel 
I don't feel a lot of angst about the Oregon State game because I feel like Oregon State is a team that's built in a similar way to Utah. Yeah, um, without you know, and, and I feel like that's it's a matchup. It, you know, everyone's going to point back to last year, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they say the same team. You know, this ain't the same team on either side of the ball last year. Like the 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 linebacker play that Oregon has this year right now, first of all, it's gotten it's got it's night and day over last year, but it's also night and day over week one. I mean, with Bossa and Hill and now Jacobs in the lineup kind of forming that three man rotation inside linebacker, the way they're playing both against the run and the pass, it's it's night it's just incomparable to like they're not gonna let Oregon State run for twenty one straight plays. That's not gonna happen. That's not it's not it's not possible this year. Well, and watching and like there were so many like everyone just goes immediately to the well, they ran the ball nineteen straight times or whatever it was. Like, yes, but we also like fumbled the ball at our own two on a on a punt drop, so that like that counts as a run. Like, you know what I mean? Like I don't know. Like, yeah. that, that that stat in general is kind of disingenuous to begin with. Um, but I wanna I agree, like Jamal Hill week over week becoming more and more comfortable linebacker. Justin Jacobs is like just came back healthy and is like Holy crap, he's a lot better than I thought he was going to be, and I thought he was going to be pretty damn good. Um, but Jeffrey Bossa deserves to be shouted out because I think he played his best game as a duck on Saturday. Um, really just playing his key, like showing good key and diagnose, staying square, sifting through the trash, getting getting downhill and, and finishing in the backfield. I, I thought he played well. Jacob showing some juice sideline to sideline um, that I didn't know he had. I knew he was a good athlete, but he looks legitimately faster than he did at Iowa. Um, and his his – get a fantastic pass rush rep off the off the edge that was like wow um if he can add that this this pass rush can become pretty special down the stretch uh speaking of the pass rush i i mean they've been great at this all year but i'm gonna point out and i really noticed it in this game in real time is when tosh decided to bring the corner blitz it was 100 effective like, like Jaleel got there, uh, Kyrie got there. I think Jaleel got like it, it. It they don't use it a lot, but man, when they use it, they they just they, it's perfectly selected. It was perfectly selected timing. Uh, they didn't all get sacks, but they all affected the play and you know essentially you know led to a to a to a win on that rep. I think they caused an interception on one of them. They got a sack on one, and then uh, the other one probably went for like a throwaway or something. But it, it it's extremely effective when they use their 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 corner and safety blitzes it's really it's really been a joy to see yeah i um i think like we've seen tosh grow up a lot like i i actually have some tweets that i legitimately regret from last year um that were specifically harsh towards tosh that ultimately like in hindsight looking back and then seeing how things have developed i i don't think they were fair to him um but i i think he's called a hell of a game a hell of a season so far uh and i I'm really proud of the way that he's that he's grown, um, and I, I don't think it's all him growing. I also think that there's just a factor of like he's got better players this year than he had a year ago, um, and that matters in football. Like the team with the better players is going to win more times than not. Um, so I, I think Tasha's doing an excellent job. I think he's killing it on the recruiting trail, um, and as long as Tosh wants to be our DC, as if he can continue to to develop at the pace that he's developing at, uh, I want him to be our coach. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, a couple other things real quick. I um, Oregon, as you know, was just absolutely abysmal in third down defense uh, over the last couple seasons. I think they finished. 
123rd and 118th the last two years, allowing high 40%, about 46, 47% third down conversions both of those years. This year, they've got that down to basically 33%, which is around 30th in the country. That's an insane amount of improvement you know, in one year to go from 118th to 30th, to go from 46% to 33%. Um, yeah, so credit... Uh, you know, credit the staff. And like you said, credit the new players, credit year two of the system, credit whatever you want, but it's working. And that's just one of many things that um, many metrics that illustrate how much improved this team is defensively. Yep. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think it's a mixture of, I think Tosh has improved. Um, and I think Dan's become more involved. I think they made some really uh, important off like analyst hires this off season. I think were extremely helpful. Um, but I, I, I think that, uh, that the, the talent improvement is the most notable thing. I mean, just look at who we have rushing the passer this year versus what we did last year. It's not even close. Yeah. Uh, you know, going back to the defensive line and the edges and everything, I, you know, the way that they rotate bodies there, like this is, this is also and and across the board with Oregon, but particularly in the defensive front, um, the amount of freshness that those guys are playing with play to play. And, and now that we're getting toward the, the, the last third of the season, the last month of the season, when it's so important, like this team is not only extremely healthy, it's also the depth is so, is so deep, right? Like and as you get into this November stretch run, like that's such a huge advantage over a lot of the teams you're going to be playing against who really don't have the luxury of playing their best defensive lineman, 40% of the snaps. Right. These guys are playing 80, 90 percent of the snaps for these other teams because they don't have anybody behind them that can play. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. Um, And I'm glad that you brought it up because it definitely needs to be called out. The the other thing um, is there's a lot of guys in that edge room that we don't talk about very often. Like it's really easy to call out and notice that the improvements of players like Purchase and Mateo. Birch is obviously playing fantastic football as well. I think Funa is settling into his role and giving us really good quality reps. Uh, but the like, Amari and Winston and Jake Shipley, uh, and I've I've been obviously a hater at times of the amount of snaps that some of those guys have played. Uh, they're it's undeniable that they're playing really good football right now, um, and they're helping and they're helping us stay fresh. So. Yeah, I also Keon Ware Hudson. He's kind of been again an under talked about guy in the in the lineup this year. You know, he's been he's been he's always been a backup for Oregon. He's been here a number of years now. He's been in the rotation for three or four seasons. He doesn't play a lot of snaps, but when he plays, he's always been effective. And this was probably his best game of the year. Uh, it was very noticeable to me that he was very he had a sack in this game. Um, five tackles. He was very effective, in, and and it, this feels like the right, like a good matchup game for him, right? Like a a, a game where he's going to get more reps in a game like this or a game like Oregon State down the road. And I thought he would, he did really well with the time he got. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't get talked about enough. He's another guy that just all he does is just play good football for us. Um, so uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that you shouted him out as well. Um, and there's yeah, there's a few, and. Uh, it, in two weeks, he's going to be playing against his brother when USC comes to town. It's the first time they'll play against each other. So I know I was talking to his dad online yesterday about that. They're excited to come up and see that game. 
I feel bad for his brother. It's going to be a tough game, but. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but... I, the, the other guy is Amari Washington um, playing more and more, and, and he still has oh, some work to do. He's definitely not a finished product yet. Um, but the talent just oozes off of him, right? Like, it's like, it's, it's very obvious that he's going to be pretty special. So. Well, and look, I mean, a lot of these guys in that front line are going to be gone after this year, right? I mean, Kentucky and Popo and Dorless and we'll see about Birch. And it's like, you know, a lot of these young guys are, they're going to be stepping into major roles next year. So it's, you know, the more playing time they get now, the better, but it, you know, it's a, it's a very deep and, very young room after that. It's like, you've got the starters who are all like six year guys. And then you got all these freshmen and redshirt freshmen, Ben Roberts, another one sitting back there, right. These that are all going to be, you know, ready to step into major roles next year. Yeah, I agree. All right. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, the, one other thing I want to call out defensively is, you know, we talked a lot in the pregame show about Sione Vaki, the safety who'd been kind of brought over to the offensive side of the ball the last two weeks. And, you know, had, I think 200, 200 all-purpose yards against uh, USC and 150 the week before that. I mean, Oregon, he got nothing. He didn't catch a single pass, and he ran the ball five times for 11 yards. So uh, the defense, I know Dan mentioned, it was mentioned in the, the the broadcast that they had they had a kind of a call out for when he was on the field offensively. And clearly Oregon's preparation for his packages uh, worked well because he got nothing. Yeah, I uh, I wasn't particularly worried about him. Like when you, when your most explosive um, potential pass catcher is a is a running back, it's pretty easy to scheme around that, right? And like you said, call him out because he's he's only gonna he's only gonna run routes from one or two spots, right? Like they're gonna have him out in the in the flat um, as a slot receiver. They're gonna have him coming out of the backfield. And so that's a I think that's a fairly simple. Thing for a staff as good as ours to plan for whereas like if you have a back that's really good out of the backfield but then you have explosive receivers around him as well that's a completely different situation yep anything more you want to touch on in this game i mean other than it just being i mean you know i guess we need to talk about the offensive line i mean they continued their dominant performance um in this one or oregon only ran for 142 yards but it was only 27 carries. They still averaged 5.3 a, a carry. Um, and, and obviously they just had a low play count in this game and they didn't really need to run that much. And, and Utah was really stacking the box. So the Oregon took advantage of that, especially early in the game. Yeah, no, I don't have anything else to add. Okay, let's move on to the next game. I'm going to talk about Washington Stanford. So Huskies kind of with their second not so hot performance in a row. They really, they won. They're eight. No, um, but Stanford took them to the wire. They had a fourth and two with the ball. Stanford had a fourth and two late in the game. I think they were down three at the time, uh, run a trick play. Perfect. Uh, look, got what they wanted. The guy drops the ball, <laughs> guy drops the ball, turnover on downs, Washington scored to, to, for the final margin, which was 42 to 33. But this was a game where they were just in a dogfight the whole game long with, the worst team in the conference. And that's one week after being in a dogfight and failing to score an offensive touchdown against the second worst team in the conference. So, you know, what's going on with Washington? Uh, I think that they've been kind of exposed. I, I, like, I wish I could, 
I don't actually. I, I really enjoy the fact that this is happening, if I'm honest with you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just... Washington's not a very physical football team. And they have and they have one thing that they're really, really good at, and it's wide receiver. And I'm not saying that that's not enough for them to potentially win the Pac-12 and earn a spot in the CFP. But I think they're going to need more. Um, and... I think that everyone's figuring it out. It doesn't make it that easy to stop. It doesn't mean that it's a guarantee that you're going to just you're just going to stop their passing game and you're going to be able to contain them. But it's a lot better than like having a team that has that passing game and then is also really explosive and can run the ball consistently and can stop the run. And like they they've been out physical in each and every one of these games. The Oregon game, the Sanford game, they got out physical against Arizona. I mean, uh, Arizona's a little bit. They they actually ran the ball somewhat confidently in that game. Um, and I I think that ultimately what we're finding out is that this is a like kind of a middling team from a talent perspective, outside of about six to seven players, which we kind of knew coming into the season. But again, that battery of receivers and quarterback is enough. And so they're finding ways to win games against teams that they probably shouldn't be in close games with. But if you took away that battery, these are games that they don't have a chance in. So. Um, if I'm a Washington fan, it's concerning. And the reason it's concerning is not for this year because you have, I keep referring to the battery, their artillery battery of, of players that they can just bomb the ball to downfield. But what happens when that goes away? What happens when a Braylon Trice leaves or a Troy Fautanu? We're not seeing the same level of development and we're not seeing young guys step up and make, make big plays and be key contributors like you're seeing on the Oregon roster because yeah, they haven't recruited they as well. And they don't have. I mean, let's be honest. The even they don't have the whoever's going to be playing quarterback with them next year isn't going to be Michael Penix level, and it doesn't matter how young and promising and great they might be in the future. They're not going to be that next year, and they're not whoever they have filling in for Roma Dunze isn't going to be Roma Dunze level. I know. I know Polk's a good player. I know they they like Boston. They like Bernard. None of these guys are Rome. Like there's a he, there's a different level there. It's just like us saying like, look, whoever steps into the wide receiver one spot next year after Troy, they're not Troy. Like they're not like, no, and that's the no. same way with Rome. Yeah, a hundred percent. The the one thing I'll say is whoever replaces Bo Nix probably not going to be Bo Nix either. True. Right. But, but Oregon the, also has the the running game and the exactly. offensive line and the Oregon defensive line the and the linebacker play and the and, defensive back play. Right. And there's no way to get around it other than ta- talent acquisition like that. Like when when you see these national pundits and these other coaches talk about Oregon, and the reason it sounds different, and this isn't me being a homer, this is just the truth. The reason it sounds different is because like you're, they're talking about a complete team with a lot of talent from top to bottom and depth. And when you watch Washington as a team with a good quarterback, some good receivers, and a couple other good uh, players that are complementary within their scheme on offense and defense, but it's far from a complete team. It's far from a deep team, and it's far from a team with exceptional talent from top to bottom. And, and that shows up in these games against Arizona State. That shows up in these games against Arizona. It shows up against Stanford. They're not able to separate because they're not, they're not that much better than these teams. They have a, a thing that's better than these teams, but as a team, they are not that much better. Whereas Oregon is playing these same teams and just putting them in the freaking dirt five minutes in. Why is that? Well, because Oregon, Oregon has more reliable ways to win games than just one. Yeah, yeah, you said I, I, if I was a Washington fan, I, this is going to sound, eh, I'm not even going to say it because it's going to sound stupid, but uh, it, let's just say it a different way. Look, like you said, 
could they run through the Pac-12 and win in Vegas and make it to the playoffs? Yeah. They're not a team that can win in the playoffs. They're not they're not a team that can go up against a Michigan I mean, they, or they a can. Georgia they or can. Ohio State. They can show up on a day and Michael Penix and the receivers could be completely unconscious and they could pull a game out. Would like is this something that you can count on? No. Would they be favorites? Absolutely not. Like would Michigan and Georgia just run a hole straight through them? Yes, absolutely. But they the thing is is when you have that passing game, when you have that one thing, they have the one thing that is the most important thing in college football. If you have an elite quarterback and you have elite receivers and you have that passing game and they're well coached, I think they have a really good, really good system. You, you can, you can beat anybody on any given day, but is it the most likely outcome? No. Is it sustainable? Absolutely not. Um, and like if, when you run up against a team that has elite talent everywhere, are you going to get absolutely physically abused? Yes. Georgia and Michigan would do things to, to Washington that don't belong on tele on television for kids to see. But Oregon did those same things. Like you watched that film. It was fun film to watch because Oregon's defensive line and offensive line was bullying him all game. Oregon just lost a couple moments. And like, you know what? Like, it still counts. They still have the win. They're eight and zero. We're seven and one. Um, yep. So I don't want to get too carried away with it. But like the the difference in team quality is apparent to anybody with a brain that knows any football. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that with that quarterback and that receiver room on any day they can beat anybody. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Um, you, me, and Justin all got the Oregon game correctly. We all missed this one. We had Washington covering. They obviously didn't. Uh, USC Cal, 50 to 49. USC escapes with a, a win up at Cal. Uh, <laughs> USC's defense continues. Like, QB, at some point, I have to stop picking USC to cover because I don't know that they've covered a game the entire year. Um, but I keep picking them to cover, and you keep picking them to cover, and we both keep getting embarrassed. To be fair, I'm just following your lead. Oh, is that it? Okay. Yeah, I, they actually covered in week two against Stanford. Um, and I don't think they've covered again since. But yeah, yeah they uh, 50 to 49. They did not cover, obviously. Cal uh, smartly scored late in this game and went for two. They didn't convert. I didn't love the play. Um, but it was the right decision to go for it and try to win the game and a credit Justin Wilcox, who I don't very often credit, but I credit him for that decision. And um, USC escape. Caleb obviously was 369 for two touchdowns. Um, Marshawn Lloyd ran well in this game. I mean, it was just an offensive battle because neither of these teams can play defense. Um, I mean, Mendoza threw for 300 yards and two touchdowns. Jaden Ott ran for 150. It was just, yeah. USC is something. Yeah, there something is right. Um, I, uh, we'll get to it on on Thursday. They're they're dangerous still. As long as they have Caleb Williams yeah. at quarterback, they're dangerous. Especially because there's not a lot of elite defenses in the league. Um, but yeah, yeah. 
they, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're dangerous. Also, but... They're also incredibly soft. Like it's this has to be said. They are a very soft team. I think certainly physically. I think probably in other ways as well, which I think is what we're seeing show up at times. Um, I just I don't I don't know how a team can be this. I, this team is so poorly coached on the defensive side of the ball. Certainly, it's. I, I I remember sitting there during the game when Cal was up 14 points in the fourth quarter and thinking like, how does Grinch even coach next week, let alone next year? But they pulled out the win, so I guess he's going to be coaching next week. Yeah, um, it's it's one of those things where I I don't think Grinch is a good coordinator, and I think that when he's retained and is still their defensive coordinator next year, it'll show. But they are still severely lacking in talent. They have not done a very good job of patching up the holes. Like I'm some of these players, like some of the guys they took from Arizona, I don't think are actually all that great of players and they're playing significant roles on this team, uh, which I think is a problem because I think that Arizona actually has better players now <laughs> at those positions <laughs> at corner and defensive line uh, than the guys that went to USC to quote unquote be upgrades. Yeah, it's like they just tried to patch together a bunch of dudes on defense, and they're just yeah. I I I don't I don't even know if it's a sum is less than the sum of its parts because I don't even know that the parts are all that good. But they certainly aren't aren't working together very well either. No, definitely not. All right. Moving on, what do we got next? We got Oregon State uh, went on the road down to Arizona. We both correctly as well as Justin, all three of us picked Arizona to to cover. I, we, I think we all picked Arizona to win this game outright, and they did. Um, no, Fajita, Fafita uh, continues to roll. I know and maybe you have to give up your old nickname of him, but, you know, 275 yards, three touchdowns in this one. Arizona, I thought played – like, this was a really fun game to watch. Um, it was two – you know, it's two teams that are clearly, like, the second – tier, you know, if you will, of, of teams in this conference. But, you know, Arizona's a team that's that's on the rise after being just absolutely terrible for so long, right? And and you got to give Jed Fish a ton of credit for what he's got going on down there and uh, how he's improving that team. You know, both, I mean, they've, they've brought in talent. They brought in talent on the transfer portal and for, you know, the level of talent that they're, that they can work with, right? And obviously not Oregon you know, or top level talent, but they're finding guys that work for them that fit their system. They're and their defensive, their defensive effort this year, I think has been really quite the improvement, right? Like we saw their offense kind of improve over the last couple of seasons. And this year we're just seeing like, they've now matched it with a defense that is more competitive and is able to, to be competitive in a game like this one and really gave Oregon state, you know, enough problems where, uh, I mean, they led this, they led this game 27, 17 and then let Oregon state get like a two play touchdown at the end of the game which was kind of crazy, but credit to Arizona. They got the home win here and they're now five and three. They're they're. I think there's no doubt they're going to make a bowl. Yeah. I, um, I think Jed fish is a really, is a good coach. I think he deserves a better job than this, but I think he's, he's basically maximizing what Arizona can be. I think some of the recruiting wins that they've gotten over the years, whether it, um, whether it be, uh, Luke or McMillan, um, like they they are maximizing those wins, right? Like they're getting everything they can out of those couple guys, uh, which says a lot about the coaching staff, in my opinion. 
Yeah, they host Arizona hosts UCLA next week, which I think is another game that could be like, I feel like, you know, we'll get to our power rankings later, but I feel like there's this like log jam of teams in the middle, Oregon State, UCLA, Arizona, Utah, that all feel like they're kind of the same team. (laughs) I mean, you know, not necessarily in the style of play, but like in the level of play, like any of them could beat any of them on any given Saturday, you know, and they're kind of that second tier of teams in this conference. And so Arizona, UCLA next week, that'll be another one. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying. Well, uh, Beavers fall to six and two. They, um, they will have color at Colorado next week. That could be a sneaky, interesting game as well. Colorado's reeling right now. And then of course they have Stanford before the Washington, Oregon uh, finish to the season for the Beavs. Let's move over. We've got Colorado, UCLA. UCLA won this one 28-16, did not cover, so we all got that one wrong. I mean, um, only because they turned the ball over six trillion times, but sure. <laughs> yeah. What was it? It was four. They had four turnovers in this yeah, game. Six trillion, about. They did get to uh, Shador quite a bit. I think they had – how many sacks did they have? They had seven sacks in this game, probably – triple that as far as hits and hurry ups and whatnot. But I think we all expected that uh, Dion trashed his offensive line after the game said, they're not good. They need to get all new guys. Uh, I don't know where he's going to get them because you're not getting good offensive linemen out of the portal. Certainly not in volume. Well, not at a Colorado. You're not because the good programs want those guys too. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, might be able to pull one off of personality. Yeah, I think he's got to try to get some guys on the rebound or whatever. But, um, you know, Colorado falls to 4-4, four and four and their bull math, which looked so promising after the 3-0 and start, is now, uh, you know, they've lost some games that they probably needed to win to be in that bull math of the Stanford game particularly. They've got Air- Oregon State, Arizona, Washington State, Utah. I mean, and the Washington State-Utah games are on the road. They might not win any of those. They might not be favored to win any of those games. you got to think maybe – you know, maybe Washington State because the way they're playing right now. That I mean, Arizona's not going to be an easy win. Oregon State's not going to be an easy win. Utah's certainly not going to be an easy win. I don't know. It's going to be tough. I think they find two wins there. What do you think? No, uh, I think that the Stanford game was the one that the the straw that broke the camel's back for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think they probably get one out of four. They finish five and seven, which I think is we all said at the beginning of the year that would be a, a wildly successful season for Dion. So I, I think. It's not going to end the way their fans and, and he wanted to, but I think overall, you'd, if you would have said five and seven at the beginning of the year, that everybody probably would have thought that was pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Arizona State, get, it is all relative. Yeah, Arizona State uh, pulls off the win at home, their first conference win of the year, thirty-eight to twenty-seven over the reeling Cougars. Started four and zero, have lost four in a row now. Fall to one and four in conference as well. You're the Cougs. Uh, this is the game you really couldn't lose. Yeah. They're a mess right now. I, I just get this feeling that Dickert's out of there, and that's what's causing this. I don't I don't have any reason to know that, right? I'm, I'm just guessing, but I don't know what it feels I, like. Yeah. I think you're right. I think between the the Oregon State seems to so far have been able to hold off any any kind of downside of like conference realignment or coaching, leaving rumors, transfer portal rumor, like, but Washington state, I think has, I think that's derailed them. 
Well, I think we saw that on that Arizona beat down at home. I think that clearly was a signal like something's going on here. And then it's just been all downhill since then. And I, I heard there's players like in the locker room openly talking about transferring, like some of their best players. Oh, really? So, yeah, that, that was a rumor that came around on today that like Cam Ward and some others, or actually might have been on uh, on one of their message boards. Cam Ward and some of the other players were like just sitting there in the locker room talking to each other about transferring. So it's not good. It's not yeah, good. That's, and that's I, yeah. not good. Like, like I, obviously not good, but it's really not good because it's like what, like if you're a coach there and you get offered another opportunity, like it's already going to be tough to stay there. Like you're likely going to the mountain West, you're a power five level coach. You get other options. Um, you're probably going to be looking to take those for obvious reasons. And the same thing with the players. Um, but have to have it fall apart like that mid season after such a promising start where they actually won some pretty big games. Like, they, they beat a solid Wisconsin team. They beat a good Oregon State team, and they've just completely flushed it all down the toilet, down the stretch, and um, it's tough to see. I think that that Coug fans deserve better than that, but. I mean, the thing is, is they have the path to, to a bowl game. I mean, they, they host Stanford this week, then they go to Cal, and then they host Colorado before the Apple Cup. I mean, that's those are three very winnable games, and they, they have to win two of them. You think um, they'll win any of them? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like they, they have the path, but this internal turmoil, you know, seems to have, be such where, it, I mean, obviously let's start with the Stanford game. They host Stanford this week. Like if they don't win that one, then no, they're done. And Stanford yeah. is, is a team that's playing a lot better right now. We've seen the last two weeks. Yeah. I don't know how much, I, I think that Washington state, assuming that players are bought in and coaches are bought in should be able to beat Stanford. But they should at home. I yeah. don't know that that's actually what's going to happen. So, yeah, yeah, they're they're reeling right now. So they didn't cover. Obviously, um, we all got that one wrong. Let's move over to the national games. QB. Let's start. They're all Big Ten. We did Big Ten week. It's yeah, Big we Ten do, week. We didn't. I didn't do well with Big Ten week. Uh, none of us did. You and Justin and I all went three and eight this week. We all went uh, two and four in the pack and one I and four in the Big Ten. So. Not good. Let's start with Ohio State, 24 to 10 win up at Camp Randall against Wisconsin. Ohio State moves to 8 and 0. Wisconsin falls to 5 and 3. However, they didn't cover by half a point here. So we just missed on this one. Thoughts on the yeah. Buckeyes? Uh no, not really. I mean, like Wisconsin's they're they're like an okay, they're competent team, but they're not a good team, right? Um and so I'm not really surprised by this at all. <laughs> like, I think the one thing, if you're an Ohio State fan, you got to be excited about was getting Henderson back, and he ran for 162 yards in this one. So that's something that Ohio State's going to need to help their offense kind of kick it up to the next level as we come down the home stretch. I think their defense continues to play pretty well. Yeah. They, they've got, like, Ohio State's a very good defense, and they've got Marvin Harrison Jr. Emeka um, Gbuka is on the mend, and he'll be playing, and Travion Henderson's good. But offensive line's not great, in my opinion, uh, and quarterback play's not great. So I don't see them beating Michigan, to be honest with you, unless, like, Michigan just gets DQ'd, which <laughs> might not be out of the realm of possibilities, but we'll see. Yeah, we haven't been talking about that on the pod, but uh, maybe we will at some point as we find time down the road. But yeah, McCord McCord was you know two touchdowns, two interceptions. Yeah, continues to be a quite a step down from the quarterback play they've had at Ohio State over the last several years for sure. 
All right. Another game that uh, Justin got right, you and I both missed. Penn State did not even come close to covering the 32-point spread as they were in a dogfight with Indiana uh, up to the end of this game. Uh, 33-24, they win by nine. Indiana, who's just 0-5 in conference, 2-6 and overall, just a terrible football team. Like, they deserve to lose by the fact alone that late in the game, uh, down three, they had a first and 10 at the Penn State 21-yard line, five minutes to go in the game. They ran it up the gut three straight times for a total of four yards and then kicked a field goal to tie. Like, they made zero attempt to actually try to take the lead in this game, and that's unforgivable. Yeah, that's also very Big Ten. <laughs> I wish it wasn't, but it's also very Big Ten. Like, the old school Big Ten, like the Big Ten – I know that Indiana's not in the Big Ten West, but that's very old school. They might as well, but they're a Big Ten West team. Yeah, they might as well yeah. be with with that kind of stuff. I just like I, I just if I'm a fan of a of that kind of team, and look, you're supposed to lose this game. You're supposed to get blown the f out. And if I'm sitting here down three with five minutes to go, with a chance to take the lead, and my coach just plays for the tie. Like, why am I, what am I even doing? Why am I even supporting this team? Like, what's the point? Like, who, like we're not going to make a bowl game. We're not a good team. Like, can we try? Like, why would this is the type? This is the type of stuff. Like, I remember back in the chip days, right? We'd be playing all these overmatched teams, and we're put like Oregon scoring seven every every time they get the ball, and these other coaches are going down there and they're kicking field goals on fourth and one, and I'm just going like, what are you even doing? Like, like, are you, like, are you just you're not even trying to win the game? Like, I, you play to win the game. Like, I, don't, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. The, it, he's not going to be the coach there very much longer. So if there's any consolation. I don't even know who the coach is. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. The next guy ain't going to do anything either. It's Indiana. Well, I mean, I think the next guy will probably be smart enough to at least try to win the game. The, the bigger issue here is Penn State's offense. Like, Drew yeah. Aller has a lot of talent, but the offensive line is not any good. And it sucks because they've got a they have a really good I think they have what what will eventually end up being a very good quarterback and an elite completely elite running back room, but they don't have a very good receiver room and they don't have a particularly good offensive line. And because of that, it's like a complete limiter on on the the possibilities for this team because the defense is good enough to make to make it happen. They didn't have a great game against Indiana, but the the truth is that this is still a really good defense for for Penn State. Yeah, I mean, Penn State is going to be what Penn State is every year. They're going to go 10-2 and two and lose to Ohio State and Michigan. I mean, that's just like what they did last year. Feels like what they do. It, it feels like A&M going 8-4 and four every year. Penn State goes 10-2 and two every year. Like th- These are just like the rules of football, apparently. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad my my over – like with them winning that game, my over 9.5 wins is going to hit. I'm pretty positive, so – yeah, well, yeah, because there's only three teams in the in the Big Ten, and they're one of them, so they can't lose to themselves. So you're pretty safe. Yeah, selfishly, I'm I'm very pleased with that. <laughs> <laughs> you must have put some cheddar on. I don't know at Maryland next week. That could be a sneaky tough. Nah, Talia is going to be on his ass the whole game. He's going to throw a bunch of picks. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> All right, or hey, I'm going to be really sad, and I'm not going to talk. Maybe record later in the year as well. Um, okay, so let's move on. Penn State, obviously, none of them got that. Speaking of Maryland, they uh, lost 
to Northwestern of all teams. Three, 33-27. Uh, Tyloo threw three touchdowns, one interception. I don't know anybody on North. I can tell you I've never – I haven't watched a Northwestern football game. I may have never watched a Northwestern football game, QB. I certainly haven't watched any this year. I don't know that I've ever watched a game that Northwestern played in. I don't know anything about this team, except I don't think they're very good. No, they're horrible. Um, but they've had some good teams in the past. Um, in the, the pretty recent history. Yeah, they um, won the West, like, I don't know, seven or eight years ago or something. 20, no, 2020, not even that long ago. Oh, well, that was COVID year. That doesn't count. And then they won it uh, in 2018 before that. So they've been they've been solid. So, they've been, so five years ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, either way. Um, and, and that 2020 team was pretty solid. Regardless, uh, Northwestern sucks. The The real gem here is that Iowa Northwestern is next week. Um, and it is now the it is now the lowest over under in the history of college football, uh, surpassing the game that Iowa played multiple a couple weeks ago against Minnesota. So um, we have a wow. new what is the over under twenty nine and a half points. Wow. Why is it so low? Is it weather? Uh, these teams don't offense very well. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll see how that plays out. Um, we all picked Maryland to cover by 14. So we were all wrong there. Michigan state, Minnesota, the, I'm going to give them the credit. I'm going to call them the golden gophers, not the mustard gophers. I picked against them. I didn't think they could score enough to cover seven. I was wrong. Mitt. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Your Minnesota Gophers, Golden Gophers, deserve more credit than I've been giving them. It's my mea culpa. 27-12 over the Spartans. That's your mea culpa? I mean, that's all I got. What else do I need? Um, whatever makes you happy. I was wrong. I didn't think they'd cover. They did. <laughs> Just giving you a hard time, Doug. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, they're not. It's not great. I, no, I don't, it, neither one of these teams is great. But these, teams are bad. these teams are not good at football. <laughs> no, I mean, 27 uh, points was was an, an offensive explosion for Minnesota. Um, but it came against Michigan State, who I don't even know. Is like if, if I don't even know how Michigan State has players, I would have just thought like if I was a guy on that team, I'd be like, yeah, I'm gonna shut it down and hit the portal come December. But <laughs> don't want to get injured. But hey, you know, credit to those guys for fighting it out. We'll see. We'll see who's coaching them next year. Maybe Jake Dickard, eh? 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 Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's I, more I, of a Minnesota thing. No, it's a Wisconsin and Minnesota thing. It's it's a it's. It's definitely both. I uh, Jake Dicker would be good. Um, I, I don't think that they're going to fire Fleck yet, though. I think he's built up enough credibility over the years. With oh, some I was those... talking about Michigan State. Sorry. Oh, I, I apologize. I was confused. Um, yeah, Dicker. I think Jonathan Smith would be good to hire. I think Mike Elko at Duke would be a good hire if he would even take the job. I guess that's the question with that one. Um, the, Lance Leipold. Okay, can we? I know. Was the Kansas Oklahoma game on our list? I know. I I. I only put Big Ten games on the list. I should I should have added that. Okay. Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't know his name. We can talk but, about it. But whoever whoever is Kansas's offensive coordinator, either needs to be a head coach, or have like a really high end offensive coordinator job. Because I, this is the first time this season I've really watched them that close. But they are so fun to watch. Have you watched them, Doug? I watched um, 
part of that game, I was running around in the morning and I saw the end of that game before the Oregon game came on. I have it recorded, but I haven't gone and watched the rest of it yet. They have just an awesome offense. Like it's just fun to watch. Like they, they run, they run so many motions and, and uh, shifts and like they'll align, not just unbalanced, but like in funky unbalanced situations, like tackle over, like nobody, no one, uh, no one to the right of the center, funky and then they'll shift and then they'll motion and then they will just outgap the ever living crap out of you on a super well schemed run play um i like kansas's offense is like one of my new guilty pleasures they're super fun to watch well in credit i'll, I'll go into that game 38 33 win over oklahoma it's the first time kansas beat oklahoma since 1989 um, like for almost 40 years, they ripped down the goalpost. They carried them out of the stadium and they threw them in a lake. So I didn't know Kansas had lakes, but you know, good for them. That's um, news to me as well, Doug. But that's uh, a, uh, again, like that's with a backup quarterback too. That's what being now. Yeah, that guy a, can't throw. Like he was terrible. He can't throw the ball, and they still won. Yeah, but like <laughs> when you we have a backup quarterback, like just being able to do one thing semi competently, like he's fast, right? Yeah, he was very fast, very fast. Um, anyways, but yeah, that, they're fun to watch. So back to our horrible Big Ten games because I didn't. Well, watch, I, w- I, I, I will I, say, I will brag about the fact that I did not watch a snap of Michigan State Minnesota. I don't even know. What yeah, the final, you just said it, and I still don't remember what the final score was. I think it was so. thirty. Uh, it, it, I don't know, uh, twenty-seven to twelve. I think it was. Uh, real quick on the Oklahoma thing, that loss also is big time because that guarantees that the Big Twelve champ will have one lo- at least one loss, and that especially an Oklahoma Big Twelve champ with one loss, their resume is not going to stack up uh, it, against a Pac twelve champ with one loss or a you know any of the other conference champions with one loss. So that that is could potentially have some important ramifications down the road as we get toward the final CFP rankings and the first CFP rankings come out this week, but yeah, whatever, who cares? It's I'm of the opinion that if you're an Oregon fan, you don't need to worry about any of this stuff. Agreed. Agreed. But a 12 and a a 13 and 0 Oklahoma is going to get in over a 12 and one Oregon. So I don't think there's a a worry because I don't think there's that would leave Oregon as the fifth team because there are other teams where are going to continue to lose, but it does, it does, it does add a loss to the column there in the big 12, which could be important for the playoffs overall. All right. One more game, Purdue, Nebraska, as we talked about, Nebraska is a team that has been improving throughout the year, you know, credit Matt rule and company there. They're now up to five and three on the year, three and two in conference. I think they're still alive for the big 10 West uh, crown. I think everybody probably is. Um, they win 31-14 over Purdue, easily cover the two-and-a-half-point spread. Justin picked Purdue, so he, he dropped that one. You and I both had Nebraska covering, and um, they didn't. They can't throw the ball, but actually they can't. They they had less than 300 yards of offense in this game against Purdue. Oof, yeah, but how football. many yards of offense did Purdue have? Um, 195. Yep, <laughs> oh see, there you go. This is Big Ten West football at its finest, folks. That's an explosive outing for Nebraska against Purdue. <laughs> yeah, they had 277 to 195. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're a hater. I am a hater. You just don't uh, – you're, like, you're like the guy that, like, thinks that Franzia is, like, the same quality of wine as, like, some of the finest bottles from Napa no, Valley. No. Yeah, oh, yeah. No. You just don't – you just don't – you haven't acquired, like, the taste. You don't have the, the taste for good football yet. And you know what? That's going to change. 
No, it's not because the Big Ten West is going away and these teams are actually going to be forced to compete, not just against their own little shitty half of a conference, but they're actually going to have to compete against the good teams in the East and coming yeah, over from the You sound the like a hater that drinks box wine. That's what I'm hearing right now. Okay, but here we go. Big Ten West standings. Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Nebraska are all three and two. They're in a four-way tie for first. And, and one of these teams is going to be fed up as a sacrificial lamb to likely Michigan or the Michigan-Ohio State winner, um, which is – just kind of a travesty yeah um it's the that game will be one of the the, like the like that will that game even be in the top half of the toughest games for michigan or ohio state Uh, well for michigan it will for michigan it will because michigan's schedule is ass but um probably not for ohio state no yeah, it's it's it, that's pretty embarrassing. Like Michigan schedule, I know it's not all their fault. Look, no, it's not all their fault. But look at who they've played so far: East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, Rutgers, Nebraska, Minnesota, Indiana, Michigan State, and then they play Purdue the next week. So they have nine. Their first nine games, there's not a there's not a top thirty team in in there. Well, the thing about that that's like kind of like crappy for them is like this is the best team that they've had in my lifetime, probably. Um, yeah, and they like they're not getting to see that team play against anybody that can push them. Like this was the team that was actually good enough for them to play a tough schedule, and they get this, which is disappointing. Like, if I, I was a Michigan fan, I would play UCLA, and they canceled that. I mean, not that UCLA is like great, but I mean it's, it's certainly better than anyone they played. Than Bowling so Green. Yeah, what was that? I would say it's better than anybody they've played so far. Well, certainly out of conference. I mean, they had East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. But, yeah, I'd put UCLA up against any of the conference teams they've played so far. It is sad. Like, if you're a Michigan, like, season ticket holder, like, yeah, it's great to watch your team win. But, like, don't you want to see some good game? Like, you want to see some good teams come to come to the big house, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, will they get it next year? Like, Oregon will be there next year. Yeah, that's true. And uh, who else do they have? They have, they have like their schedule gets a lot harder next year, which again, if you're a Michigan fan, that kind of sucks because your team is not going to be nearly as good next year. Well, I and mean, they travel, they travel to Washington, to which I don't think that that will be a great team either, but um, it's at least a, a, a brand matchup at least. That'll be a fun game. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think Michigan's going to turn into a bad football team this off season. And my, my point was more so that like, they they're gonna they're gonna have a lot of guys drafted off this team this coming off season or this April and so like they're gonna they're they're just gonna be in transition. Yeah, no, I I think so too. I I mean that's a if you're gonna have to go to the big house, that's a good time to go. Not that Oregon's gonna have some transition too, especially at quarterback, but I'd certainly rather go there next year than this year. Yeah. All right, QB, let's do our power rankings and then we will get on out of here. Um, I still got Stanford at twelve. Uh, I do do as well. I have Arizona Honestly, State. If they would have won that game, I probably still would have them at twelve because I think that there's just I, I think that they're legitimately the worst team in the conference. Well, and I agree because I couldn't push them ahead of an Arizona State that won, and I couldn't push them ahead of a Cal team that gave USC everything they had. So yeah, they would have still been at twelve. Arizona State's at at eleven for me, and Cal's still at ten. Yep, I've got uh, Cal at eleven, ASU at ten. I think I I just like the way that ASU's playing. Um, I know that they just got their first conference <laughs> win, but I'm going to reward uh, Denny Killingham for 
like continuing to field a very competitive team despite the fact that they have lost so many players to injury they're playing with a walk-on quarterback i i, I think the the coaching job uh, if dan lanning wasn't having such an awesome year i would legitimately think that despite only having one win he would be worthy of coach of the year just because of how his team is competing given how little talent they have um and in some of the some of the injury factors at play for them Let, let's talk a little bit about i mean i i, I kind of see four candidates for coach of the year and tell me where, where you disagree. I, I mean, I agree. Well, I don't think Kenny's really a candidate, but I would agree with you that. No, I'm just saying, like, in terms be. of like, if it's actually going yeah. to the guy who's doing the best job given his circumstances, like, it's you'd be pretty hard pressed to tell me that somebody else is doing more with less than Kenny Dillingham this year. No, no, I totally agree with you. I just like that's not how the people that pick this award think about it. But I, I think you're totally right. I think if you're looking at real candidates, I'd say it's DeBoer, Lanning. Kyle Whittingham's probably the leader in the clubhouse right now because of what he's done with all of his injuries. And then I would, I mean, maybe Dion. I, I think Dion might get some votes, but those, I think that's fading though. Dion so I probably no favor getting votes. I'm sorry. I, I'd probably favor the first three. You see yeah. anyone else in that, in that battle? No, I, I think if we went out, that Dan wins it. Yeah, I think so too. And if we don't, then it, it, DeBoer probably does. You know, if they went out, so it's one of those two. We might. I think. I think Whittingham will get some votes, but I think it will fade as they they probably lose another game or two. So, all right. Um, I've got. I, I you're right. I should have moved ASU. I am going to move ASU up to ten as well ahead of Cal. I've got Colorado at nine and Washington State at eight. Oh, you just cut out there for a second for me. I don't know what happened. Oh, I don't either. All right. I just said I've got Colorado at nine and Washington State at eight. Uh, yeah, I've got Wazoo at nine, Colorado at eight. I, Wazoo's backslide has me dropping them substantially. Yeah, I thought about making that flop as well, but uh, Colorado also lost, so I kind of kept it as is. But that's definitely one that I can see flip-flopping here as we look as, as Washington State continues to reel most likely. Um I think this is where it gets really interesting because three through seven to me all feel like very interchangeable. Um, and you could make an argument for any order. Um, I've got Utah at seven. I'm not crazy about what I did here, but I've got Arizona at seven. Okay. Um, I don't really have a great defense for it. Um, other than like Arizona, we're giving Arizona credit for being close in games against USC and, and Washington and not actually winning them. And I think that Utah has done more despite having way more injuries and being way more depleted. Uh, so with that said, I, I leaned towards having Arizona as my bottom of the top seven. Okay. We got a six. Uh, I've got USC at six. Um, their defense is so horrible that it doesn't really matter how good their offense is. <clears throat> I've got UCLA at six. Um, I just feel like they're kind of just the like steady middle of this conference. Um, uh, UCLA and USC are interchangeable to me because they're both half teams. Yeah, like, I think both. Of, like, I, yeah. I, I would actually agree with you on this one because I think now that you put it that way, um, USC's offense is better than UCLA's defense. Although, like, I think that if you, it's tough because I think that. UCLA's offense relative is probably better than uh, USC's defense. Maybe. I don't know. What do you think about that? 
I well, I would agree with that. I I have you. I have USC third. I know we're bouncing around now. I have USC third, and it's like I hate having them third, but I because I feel like nobody belongs in third. I feel like the drop between two and three is. I can't put a team that gets taken to the wire by Cal and loses to Utah at home when Utah has like but, nobody available. But uh, if I said or, if I said if USC plays Arizona, Oregon State, UCLA, Utah tomorrow, you I think USC beats all those teams. I mean, they've already done it to a couple of them. Um, I just their their offense is is like like you were talking about with Penix and his receivers earlier, right? Like it's the thing that it's the one thing that out of all these seven teams is an is an elite level, especially in the passing game, and you know they can just outscore teams like they did against Cal. Like so, I don't love it, but I like they beat Arizona. They you know they lost to Utah, but I mean. I don't know, man. It's weird. That's why I'm saying it. I think you can put these five teams in any order. Yeah, I don't have super strong opinions on any of this. I think that they all deserve to be in a clumping. The order is unimportant to me, to be honest with you. Yeah, like I, I think that like, if, if Utah was healthy, I think they'd very clearly be the next best team. But Agreed. they're not. So. All right, so I'll just go through my whole clump and then you do yours. I've got Utah at seven, UCLA at six, Oregon State at five, Arizona at four, USC at three. Okay, I've got uh, Arizona at seven, USC six, UCLA five, Utah four, Oregon State three. Then it's weird because I put Arizona at the bottom and Oregon State at the top, despite um, the outcome the of the result. game. Yeah, but I I think that like I think Jonathan has body work yeah. mismanaged some things in that game, and I think that Oregon State's looked like the better team for the greater portion of the year, and I think Oregon State probably has better wins. Did you? Yeah, that's true. Uh, did you see Jonathan Smith's uh, decision at the end of the first half? Yes, that was really bad. Like I'm, uh, I'm all for being aggressive, but that's not how you do it. No. So just f- for listeners that don't know, it was fourth and whatever. Doesn't really the yards didn't matter because there was two seconds left in the half. There was only time for one play, and they were at like the twenty yard line or something, and they were lined up for a field goal, and they ran a fake where they they basically handed the ball off to their kicker to try to run the 20 yards to the end zone. I, I, the play had no chance. It was never going to have a chance. I don't know what, like anyone who wants to criticize Dan for taking points, not taking the points at the end of the first half, this was 8,000 times more egregious than that. Yeah. That, they're not comparable situations in my opinion. Uh, that was bizarre. That was bizarre. Uh, had some a lot of Oregon State fans on Twitter wanting to fire Jonathan Smith, which was equally bizarre and crazy because this team is That's like so two dumb. and ten without Jonathan Smith. This team, yeah. Do, you, do they do they remember what this team was before he was hired? Uh, I, I guess do they, they know have where short this memories. team is going to be in five years when he's Less. gone? Like, yeah, get used to it, right. boys. I've still got Washington at two and Oregon at one. I think the results from this weekend solidified that. Um, my justified my move last week to put Oregon ahead of Washington, and I still feel good about that. Yeah, I moved Oregon above Washington because you don't get to in, – in my power rankings, I don't care if you win head-to-head, but if you start, like, looking like trash week after week against bad, like really bad teams, like two of the three worst teams in the conference by, by our power ratings, <laughs> uh, then you get punished and you drop. And look, it gets real now for Washington. They can't play like that the rest of the way. They got USC, then Utah, then – 
Oregon State, then the Apple Cup. Like if they play like that, they're losing at least two games. I don't, they might not make the title game if they play like that. Yeah, to be fair, I don't think they are going to continue to play like that. But I, I, I know I know I, what you're saying, and I agree with you. I, agree. I, 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 think, I think that the, the passing game will will show up and be better. Yeah, this uh, Washington versus USC game this this next week is going to be fun. Who who can throw for more yards? Yeah, I am really excited to watch this game. I do think that like there's. Washington's defense is better. Like I, I see why Washington is a three and a half point favor on the road, um, but I would be tempted. Like if it stays at three and a half, I will be taking USC on Thursday. What's the over under? I didn't. I don't know off the top of my head. I might. It might not be enough, but there's gonna be a lot of points scored in this game. But you, USC has this weird quality offensively, where like they don't score like a ton of points they score only what's needed <laughs> like they, you know they, what you, that's a good way to put it and i think you're right like they score what's required to win but like it, they don't score enough to separate <laughs> like they get a lead and then they're like all right that's enough and then they stop well in this game they might need a lot to win because i mean Penix could throw for 500 yards I think USC is going to dump everything in this game this is going to be the game that like make makes or breaks USC season because this is the last, like, I don't think that they actually, I, like, if you ask their, you give their coaches truth serum, do they actually think they could beat Oregon at Oregon? I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't. But they can win this game. They can win this game, and it's a home game, um, and I'm sure it's going to be a big recruiting weekend for them. It's going to be an important recruiting weekend for them after they, the way they've been playing. Um, and so because of that, I think they're going to, like, they're going to empty the tank here. And if they don't, they might be broken before they even show up to odds. And like, if they lose this game, that might just be it. Well, and, and if they win this game, then that puts a presu- in a, a presuming Oregon beats cow, that would put all three Oregon, Washington, USC, all with one conference loss. And, and then, you know, then USC is right there in the thick of it down the stretch, obviously, you know, they control their own destiny uh, with games against Oregon and UCLA after that. Um, but it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. I, um, it'd be hilarious. I mean, I, I want to, I legit, I really want to play Washington again. Um, but it would be, there would be some serious comedy if Washington didn't actually even make it to the back 12 title game. (laughs) (laughs) And, and look, they've got the November that Oregon had last year, right? Like Oregon had the gauntlet in November having to play Washington, Utah, Oregon state to end the year. And Washington has a similar gauntlet this year playing, you know, playing at USC, then hosting Utah, obviously Utah's beat up hosting Utah and then going to Oregon state. I mean, that's not, that's not an easy stretch for, for them. Uh, I, I'm the Utah game will be interesting to me because there's no reason Utah should be able to stay in that game. Washington should separate and blow them out like we did. Uh, but like I get this weird feeling that Utah is just going to be able to be one-dimensional and that Washington's not going to be able to stop it. And will Washington be able to block Utah like we did? We'll find out. Yeah, the line of scrimmage in that game is going to be really interesting to watch because I, I kind of agree with you. Um, I mean, we I think we've seen what both these teams are in the trenches. And I, I just – I think Washington gets enough, especially at home, they get enough of those – you know, explosive plays where Utah can't keep up. But I do think, 
I do I don't think it's going to play out like the like this game did last weekend with Oregon. No, no, no. They 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 aren't they they're not even close to being able to just show up and dominate you like that. Uh, it's going to require Michael Penix and the receivers to be on, which I think they'll be dialed up for that game because I think the staff will get that team ready to go. Well, especially after depending on what happens in 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 LA first, right? It so. becomes really important, right? Like like we felt that going into the game this week. Like if you lose, it doesn't make it impossible, but it makes it really hard. Yeah. Yeah, if, if Washington loses the next two, and again, this is getting way ahead of ourselves, but if Washington somehow loses the next two or even two of the next three, you know, the Oregon State came there and, and falls to, you know, two losses in conference, now they're in they're in a tiebreaker scenario, right? And and like let's say let's say USC beats Washington and then Oregon beats USC. Okay, well Oregon or sorry, Washington and USC in that scenario would have would both have two losses, but USC would own the tiebreaker. I mean, it's not that's not crazy. That's not like that doesn't require a lot of of upsets no. for something like that to happen. Yeah, that would be interesting. I again, I I want Washington to make it with one loss so that we can take make right on what was was wrong. Look, I want Washington to lose the next four games, but I mean, yeah, I always want Washington to lose. I will not be rooting for Washington to win, but I selfishly want another shot at those guys. I, I, I do too. I want to. I want. I want them. I, want I really them don't think they want to play us. Like that's the vibe I'm getting from their fan base on Twitter. They don't want to admit it, but that's. I don't. I think they know, and I think that they don't want it. But we'll find out. I think they threw everything at that game. And I think that's what's evident, right? I mean, I think leading up the off season, leading up during the season, leading up to that game, they were singular, singularly focused on beating Oregon again in Husky stadium. And they accomplished that. And I think they have, they now they have to find what their next goal is. And it doesn't seem like they've locked onto that. I mean, obviously the, obviously they have their goals, right? Their goals to make it to Vegas, make it to the playoffs, all those things. But like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're trying to say. I get it. All right, let's wrap this up, QB. It's good talking to you as always. He's at QB11SD on Twitter. I'm at DouglasTS. The show is at QB11Show. Guess what? If you actually follow the at QB11Show on Twitter, you will find, you will get the, the earliest notifications of our new episode drops and but you know how you get them even earlier than that qb if you subscribe on apple or or spotify or wherever your podcasts are heard if you subscribe to the show it just shows up in your feed and that happens before the tweet comes out so follow us on apple follow us on spotify follow us on wherever you listen to podcasts and you will always be the first one to get access to the latest and greatest episode good night everyone we will see you on thursday with our week 10 preview